Hey, I'm Zanzi, and welcome to another captivating episode of Farmers Inside Track. I'm your host, Dornumdu. Moringa, often referred to as the miracle tree, offers a multitude of nutritional and economic benefits, from preparing the soil to choosing the best Moringa varieties and implementing sustainable cultivation practices. We'll guide you through the step-by-step process of creating a successful Moringa farm. We welcome Senarin Naidu, banker, financial advisor, farmer, specializing in Moringa production from KZN. He connects with Food from Zanzi journalist Octavius Mandel to showcase how farmers can diversify with this commodity. Thanks, Dawn. Senarin Naidu, welcome to Farmers Inside Jack. Today, I am absolutely excited to pick your brain on Moringa production. And our specific topic will be about the farming and how you can actually be a successful Moringa farmer. Starting a Moringa farm, what exactly are the requirements that farmers need to know before venturing into that type of production? Thanks for having me, Tavia. One of the most important things is just a brief understanding of the Moringa market. It's a really, really interesting market to most of the production of Moringa is not consumed fish, like your traditional vegetables. At this very moment, you cannot really sell Moringa on the open market like you would lettuce or spinach. Most of the leaves, the pods, the roots, basically the entire plant goes to agro-processing. So I think a deep understanding of the market that it actually features in is important. And then also just finding a market such as a supplier is really critical and just understanding the costs of the Moringa market is important. There's a massive market in South Africa. I believe it's a couple million at the moment. Worldwide, it's about 95 billion. So it's really, really massive. That's amazing. <laughs> Let's dive into land preparation. What is your advice here for someone who wants to start? So Moringa is one of the most versatile crops. So in terms of a land preparation, I mean, it would be your general plowing of the land, harrowing of the land, most definitely getting a soil sample. Moringa does prefer very sandy, loamy soil. However, it does also grow in about a 50% clay content. But I think your general land prep, just understanding the soil requirements, fertilizer requirements, and having a very well-drained soil. So your land also needs to cater for nuances such as drainage and obviously not having it flat whereby water holds onto it. And if it's on a steep slope as well, again, drainage is very, very important. But other than that, I'm just making sure that your soil is well well analyzed and understanding Moringa requirements in terms of nutrients and uptake, which we can get into. And when exactly is planting season? So in KZN specifically, it's in September. That's because we have kind of warmer climate. It's not too cold. Moringa doesn't really like the cold. It kind of sheds its leaves, doesn't grow really well. In Limpopo as well, I believe it's also in September from what I've seen. It's the time that most planting seasons are for vegetables, but yeah, moringas are on that side. I'm curious to know, Sanerian, is it irrigation intensive? Not at all. Moringa is a very interesting plant. Moringa actually, on the first three months or so, would require a bit of water every three days. But once it develops a taproot, so a root is a bulb at the bottom of the plant, which kind of stores its, its own water. So it's like very self-sufficient. Once that taproot is developed at the third month, I'd say two and a half to three months, the plant can actually go up to a month or even at most two months without water. So it's one of the most viable crops whereby you don't require drip irrigation, actual irrigation on the field. It could go two months with just sitting on its own, being rain fed. 
But if you feel that there's a drought and it's gone over two months and the plant is at six to eight months old, you would want to start putting water every two months or so. You have mentioned a little bit about the soil requirements, but I'm also curious specifically about climate requirements. Moringa is grown in six out of the nine provinces. Does climate have a lot to do with that? Definitely. So Moringa passes for germination and growth. They require a medium temperature of around, I'd say, 20 degrees Celsius. And if you have fruit requirements of the plant, which includes the flower and the pods, you need a temperature of at least 30 degrees. So you'll find that in some of the provinces, they experience frost, really, really cold winters. And that's hence the reason why we don't really plant in the likes of Johannesburg or of frost areas whereby the plant would die during winter. It can't stand temperatures below 15 degrees. And when is harvesting season of, of the plant? You have mentioned that between three months, two months, the plant can withstand irrigation. You've mentioned a little bit about that. When exactly is harvesting season? It would depend what you're harvesting because the good thing about the moringa plant is you can harvest the flower, which is perfumes. You can harvest the actual drumstick itself, which is used for seeds, making oil, consuming the seeds in some countries. And then there's the leaves, which I do specifically. Here in KZN, we're lucky because of our warmer climate, even through winter. We harvest every two months. So you'd find that once the plant is established at its one-year mark, we're literally cutting leaves every two months. You have mentioned previously, way at the beginning of our conversation, that there's definitely a demand for Moringa. And you've mentioned the market and how there's definitely money in this market. But can you maybe expand a little bit more around the topic, the demand for Moringa and the market accessibility? I remember when we began Moringa in 2015, the market was quite niche, very small, not a lot of information to access to the market, how we can go and start selling it off. And then the Moringa Development Association of South Africa was formed and the Industrial Development Corporation government began doing some research. And then it kind of expanded up until 2018, 2019. And we found a lot of farmers, especially in Limpopo, were provided with funding, KZN as well. And we kind of created these Moringa associations, which you can find online, that will give you access to the different markets. So the markets are are very far and wide. There's markets that take seeds specifically. There's markets that do agro-processing, such as what I currently do. And there's also markets that use Moringa for oil, which you can access through. At this very moment, it's through chatting to agro-processing companies, chatting to your government departments. You do have the on-field workers that come through, chat to them on how you can actually get into the market. It's massive. It really is a big market. COVID has boosted the market because Moringa is a superfood. And I've found from 2020, lots of demand for Moringa because of its nutritional value, the fact that it's also assisting with many deficiencies as well. So just getting into processing and supplying your pharmacies, your supermarkets, the market is quite wide. We've obviously listed all the successes of Moringa, but what are some of the risks involved with Moringa farming? So over the last few years, I've definitely seen the market does go up and down new pests. I've seen a lot of diseases coming through, something which I was not aware of, say, five years ago. So it's ever evolving. And I guess that's with all vegetable farming. And then also just remembering Moringa has a big export market. So one of the challenges there is access to ports, access to good exchange consultants, and just the rates as a whole, because the Moringa market seems to be denominated in dollars. 
And a lot of time when we're trying to get these products abroad, we're finding a lot of difficulties with exchange rates specifically. And that kind of like brings up our costs a little bit. Other than that, I mean, it's still a new market as per se in South Africa. So within your market, there's just inherent risks of trying to establish yourself. So Nirin, you've mentioned something very interesting about pests and diseases. Let's dive into it. Can you maybe share with us some of those pests and diseases that farmers need to look out for? In KZN specifically, and I think it's a common theme in South Africa, is reared spider mite. That's something that really features in when the temperature drops. The moringa trees become a little bit dry and red spider mite seems to take over. And that causes the plant to go yellow because the spider mites kind of suck the sap out of the plant. And then another big thing is termites, termites and wood borers. The moringa tree has a great taproot at the bottom. So the termites go after the taproot and once they snip it off, your tree's gone. So you kind of lose a bit in that sense. And then I found a new thing that's coming in is birds. Birds coming up onto the trees and pecking at the stem of the tree. Is the market profitable? I specifically want to know how big should your farm be in order to actually make money on Moringa production? And I think that's something that farmers were thinking about venturing into the Moringa production. When can they make money? When can they expect to see returns on this type of production? As I said in the beginning, I think it's 100% important to find out about the market, establish yourself in the market as it's still new. It's definitely profitable if you're going into agri-processing. And on average, I mean, based on what my current planting scale is, I would definitely say around 5,000 trees per acre. And of the 5,000 trees, you need to ensure that you're producing at least five tons of leaf matter every three months on a rolling period. Rolling period means obviously throughout the year. Remembering that Meridian doesn't have a price per kg. You're going to have to kind of look at your input costs and you're going to have to see what's the best processing element for you, whether it be capsules, whether it be for poultry feeds, whether it be for just animal feeds as a whole. But definitely it's profitable if you can get into agro-processing and just obviously doing your costs and checks at the beginning of it and establish yourself in the market. How capital intensive is it to actually start? Initially, not capital intensive at all if you have access to land. The biggest cost would be your land preparation and thereafter the seeds. The seeds, you can pick it up for 20 cents a seed if you buy it online. And just the first three months in terms of ensuring that no pests get into the plant, ensuring that the plant has enough water. And after that, you're good to go because a moringa plant does not require much attention other than just pruning and making sure that it's free from diseases. Is there any final advice that you would like to leave farmers? We need a look at addressing food security in Africa as a whole and non-traditional plants such as Moringa are the way to go because there's so many benefits of the tree, so many ways that you can kind of dissect this tree and get different processing parts of the plant. It's definitely the way to go in Africa. Thanks, Sinaran Naidu, banker, financial advisor and farmer specializing in Moringa production from KZN. Now, before we let you go, we celebrate this week's hashtag soil sister, Cabello Lestrena. She talks more about her farming journey and how they've grown over the years. I am the CEO of Pulanella Badawum, which is a farming enterprise that operates in the rural villages of the Eastern Cape in Matadiel. I come from a very small village. Friends of mine call it the back of the beyond. <laughs> that is how far and remote my village is. I really come from a family that um, the truly believes in education and in the transformative power of education. Pulanalabadawum, by the way, is a family-owned business. And how I really got into farming, it was a 
series, really, of painful events that led me into farming, right? But I'm glad that I, whatever that happened, it was in 2020, that got me into a place where I had to do deep introspection in terms of what it is that I want to do going forward. What moves me? How do I want to build my legacy going forward? And through all of that, through all of those, um, you know, many painful services, I found myself into in farming. Obviously, why farming? It was really because I am a very passionate South African. I want to change South Africa and the continent. I really do believe that there is a reason that South Africa and the continent is food insecure, that we have children that go to bed without food when we have so much land, even have so much water. But ideal, where I come from, we are just on the other side of Lesotho. So the water that comes from Lesotho, we also share in that water. So I truly just believe that there is no reason that we should. I mean, my village is an indigent village, which means about 80% of the households really depend on social brands. When I really introspected about what it is that I would like my legacy to be going forward from the painful events that I emerged from, I thought South Africa has got three main challenges, and those are unemployment, poverty, and inequality. And how can we change that? How can we change South Africa? How can we change the continent? And then I thought it's very important that we are able to take what we have and use it to create economic activity so that we can create the much-needed jobs, so that we can give people dignity. And I thought, with my village having so much land, it's a very beautiful. It's very poor, yes, but it's a very, it's very beautiful as well. That's how I started, really. I'm very proud to say, so far, we have created more than 100 jobs. We have given people dignity. And people are very proud to work for their living because, honestly speaking, there is no dignity in poverty. There is no dignity, you know, in not being able to support one's family. But there is a lot of dignity in working you know, and it being able to support your family. And that is what we have done. And we have planted tens of hectares of maize and of soya beans. We have ventured into, into cash crops, which is your spinach, cabbages, and all of that, because we've got massive amounts of land. And as a result of the work that we've been doing as Pulanala in the villages, right, the community and the chief, in recognition of the work that we've been doing, have given us 2,500 more hectares of land. What an amazing story. Kabila Lithuania is one of the phenomenal women selected to participate in the 2023 Hashtag Sister program. You can of course catch her full interview on www.foodformzanzi.co.za or on Foodformzanzi's YouTube channel. And that's a wrap. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode. From me, Donumdu, Octavius Pandil, our technical producer, Megan van der Fendt, and the rest of the amazing hashtag Team Food from Zanzi. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now. Life in South Africa can be a lot. I mean, scroll through Twitter for a minute and tell me I'm wrong. Thank God for South Africans though, right? We're inspiring and even on the bad days, we fight back with a smile. That's why I love Food from Zanzi so much. They're not ashamed to celebrate the ordinary unsung heroes who work every day to put food on our nation's tables. Go to foodformzanzi.co.za and never miss an inspiring story.